שלום רב על ישראל ועד כל יושבי תבל תשים לעולם. May we find abundant peace for Israel and all people. May it be a good thing that all who dwell on earth at every time and hour can live in security and peace. That is a prayer. That is a hope. It's a hope I can't share in this moment this week. Heschel commanded that we must comfort the distressed and distress the comfort. Well, we're in a bit of a morass at this moment between COVID, between our shelter and between our protection and this week of anger and frustration and insistence. We must help distinguish between all the varying shades of our emotions and our responses and our actions. For within this, I began Ose Shalom. We began with peace, and then we have protest. There's been civil disobedience. There's been civil disturbance. There have been claims of rebellion. There have been acts of looting. There's been riots. Perhaps there's also zones of chaos and war. Each of these are categories. Each of these help us define the state of our society. They have limits and each have laws. Unfortunately, we're not finding those laws that we currently administer. We're finding a silence that's deafening and it's unacceptable. For we can't merely pray for peace at this moment. Not if our prayers result in empty symbols. Not if our sacred texts are turned upside down. Not if they're used as a prop in the midst of such grief and anguish and a righteous indignation. If you are entirely at peace at this moment in our country, you're not awake. For we're not at peace. We are at the opposite of shalom right now. The opposite of wholeness. God doesn't give peace as some reward at the end of a race. Peace begins with a sacred center, with the sacred value of each life, of all life. Yet, the center cannot hold when there is no center to behold. Right now we don't have that same sense of peace. And if I just sang and swayed and said, I would not feel authentic. Peace on earth must be a result of goodwill to humanity, to one another. And perhaps we can begin to take those steps. This week has been... A difficult week. For we have been witness to the extrajudicial killing of George Floyd. But not just George Floyd, he represents just one of a list of names, and I will name them in this sacred sanctuary tonight. Ahmed Aubrey, Brianna Taylor, 
whose 27th birthday was to be today. Atatiana Jefferson, Botham Jean, O'Shea Terry, Antoine Rose II, Stefan Clark, Jordan Edwards, Philandro Castile, Terence Crutcher, Greg Gunn, Freddie Gray, Walter Scott, Tamir Rice, Akai Gurley, Laquan McDonald, Michael Brown Jr., Renisha McBride, John Crawford III, Eric Garner, Jonathan Farrell, Jordan Davis, Rakia Boyd, Oscar Grant, Sean Bell, Michael Stewart, Clifford Glover. We remember these names by saying their names. In our tradition, we remember names, Yichonam Livracha, by giving charity and tzedakah. We remember by voting with deep consciousness. We must remember. We must remember by acknowledging not all have been admitted as members of our society. Zichonam Livracha for empowerment. For to each there is a name and a past, and we say their names this Shabbat. And like the unnamed soldier, and like that flame of Yiskor that is said for all those that do not have names, there are so many more included in this memorial. We know there is no peace for them, for people of color, and therefore part of ourselves in this moment. This is not only happening in America, but because of our social networks, this is truly a global moment. The murder of George Floyd is the most witnessed murder of all time. There is already a mural of George Floyd in Syria. In Syria, there is not peace. Not in our world. Not in this land. Certainly not in my heart. But let's be clear, the opposite of peace is not war. We are not at peace. We are not at war. One man, no matter how self-important, can make a determination for us what state of war or peace we are in. For there are those, and I am part of those, suing for justice in this moment. But we will not be declared war upon or be declared guerrillas. Guerrilla is spelled with ger, war, not gorilla. Even the White House cannot attack those who protest civilly and demonstrate. For the real opposite of peace is not war, it is chaos. Tohu vavohu, a world before divine language, it's formless and void, and it's like a black hole. Chaos is a threat to consume all matters. And no, we're not in chaos. For after months of vulnerability, we're more like in the wilderness. It's somewhere between a state of calm and peace and ultimate tohu vavohu. We're in this wilderness just like the Torah. And so it takes a divine voice and it takes agents of that divine voice to distinguish between the shades of light and dark. For humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. 
And so this collective response, this civil protest, is a sacred right. And it is a sacred voice. But we are not, thank God, in civil war, nor chaos, nor is this a riot as a collective. And we must distinguish gradations within a fog of our own confusion. The clarity will help us define righteousness. The clarity will help us in systemic change. For we must bear witness. We must give voice to this injustice and maintain our dignity and power to speak truth. Especially when in positions of power and privilege. Especially when those in the highest office refuse to do so at our society's peril. My father, he served in the army. He was actually a captain. He was also in ROTC at UCLA, but that's another story. So he was a captain. He actually served in the Pentagon in the late 60s. He understood the power of language and the enforcement of the law. I always thought that actually, Michael, I'll tell you this. I didn't know what he did. And I said, what did you do in the Pentagon? He says, I worked for the army. What did you do in the army? That was not, I didn't want to talk about it. I always thought he was doing like intellectual property for some like Agent Orange or some horrible thing. But it wasn't the guy I knew. So finally, when I asked him to share, and it took my son and, and really the conversation of allowing him to talk through my son, I knew what he did. For during the period in the late 60s, as you know, there was great civil unrest, he actually coined the term, this is a footnote of history, the term civil disturbance. And he did this to qualify the difference between a civil disturbance and a riot and challenged every time the military brought a new case of riot around the country to prevent the army from attacking its own citizens. For I think there was 12 points that actually would define what a riot was, and every time he'd say, oh, 11, but no, I mean, they would do this in committee. And so by making that distinction, I'm so grateful because we can see that as our duty to really determine in our language how we can either promote justice or promote chaos. For our language is in every language of sermons, of posts, of texts, of references as we're trying to understand what's going on during this week of unrest. So they, quote unquote, I believe is the dirtiest four-letter word in our language. Who they are. They are protesting. Who is this they? Many of us are part of they. They are looting. Who is they? And who are they for? There are many who are not them. And many of them are us. And so with all of these questions of who the they is, is a deeper call. It's the call of God who asked, who are we? And more importantly to each and every one of us, who are you? And more important than who are you, where are you? Ayeka, where do you stand in this moment? Just as God called to Cain, God calls to us. And that is all of us. For the term riot is much more than just broken windows and slashed tires. And yes, there is injury to property and person. A riot is not just a threat to our order, but it is a threat to all order. 
And if you listen closely, if you bear witness to the protests of this past week, you can tell there are differences. I witnessed a woman who was clearly not of color as she was videotaped, casually defacing properties with BLM, Black Lives Matter, and waves of neon, like she was just painting the scenic landscape. This is not a riot. I witnessed marchers begging looters to turn away. I witnessed brooms sweeping between shattered businesses. I talked with congregants who got out there with their gloves and their brooms to help clean the day after. I heard helicopters, as you did, but I also heard music. I heard chanting amongst crying. This was not a riot. And just like contact tracing for this COVID disease, we must distinguish, highlight, yes, chastise, yes, censor. All of our passions must be channeled towards righteous light. Let there be light from this darkness. And let us not return to a chaos, the formless and the void. For we can remember, as we were just talking about, Michael, 1992, the Rodney King riots. I felt viscerally connected to that threat. I remember watching the TV, all of that rage. First, when we witnessed the video of those officers collectively pummeling a broken man who had no resistance left in him. It was as clear as black and white then. There was this evidence, there was this universal witness to the damage and injury. And then there was that acquittal, a blatant injustice on top of injustice, and then there was revolt. And while I was scared, I must admit I was not scarred. For the violence was policed just like Skid Row is currently managed. It's a hemmed chaos. There was this red line drawn at La Brea Boulevard. It was not just. It was worse than the damage that was done to our city because it scarred a generation, not only of African Americans but Latinx, the Korean Americans pitting community against community. The neglect is still manifest in so many ways. It was racist. It was almost like let them riot, knock each other out. East and central L.A. and south L.A. was a battle zone. It was more than just a battle zone. Because it was really an inferno left to burn. It was like east of La Brea became Tijuana in order to protect our west side. And so let us remember that 2020, this week, has not been 1992. For people are wiser to not destroy their own communities and the little that they have. And our local governments have earned, learned some valuable lessons from our recent past. And I believe this is true partly in our nation as well. Even in Minneapolis, the center of this rage from the epicenter of George Floyd's murder, the target, while demolished, was not the target of these protests. And in Atlanta, thanks in part to the passionate pleas of their mayor and rapper Michael Santiago Render, who's so ironically titled Killer Mike, but he was anything but. His speech was passionate. Don't destroy your own businesses, women-owned restaurants. Please don't destroy your own. 
Yes, CNN, there was damage, but it was its signage that was destroyed. For many people, and God willing, it is a moral majority, are furious. We are distressed. We want to disturb a peace in order for deeper reflection, to have collective action for systemic change. This is a nation of hurt seeking a national voice. This is not citizens against governments, but it is a movement to join and march towards a more perfect union. Just look at Flint. This is a place with every reason to riot. It's a community forged by economic loss. You remember Roger and me, the movie, Flint, Michigan? And literally, they drink tainted water due to government neglect. And yet, thanks to the heroic act of Sheriff Chris Johnson, they marched together. They said, I don't want to march, I want a parade. And they marched hand in hand. It's not perfect, we've got challenge, but there are ways to distinguish between them and them. Who is us and who is all of us? And to take those steps. For we can see that light. With our collective power, our power to vote, our power to assemble and speak our hearts, we might not be able to reach the promised land, but we can reach a land of promise. I am at the top of the intersectionality period, pyramid, and so I know it is in my role to listen and to bear witness. As I said earlier, hesket, shh, shma Yisrael, to hear. Let's just be clear that listening with a full heart and bearing witness is not silence. That leaves space for others to give voice to justice that I can hear and say Amen. The Talmud says, a person who says Amen to another's prayer is in fact more empowering than that prayer itself. For they, quote unquote, are speaking. And when we listen with broken hearts that are open, we transform the they's to a larger us. So when I understand and when I bear witness, I hear their voices. And I hear how our society is broken. And that I knew. But if I'm really listening, it's not just broken, it was always fixed. How the few make the rules for the many. And now how one tells all what is and is not American. It's not what I was taught in public school. It's not what my Zadie's Union was about. This sounds more like his Zadie's Tsar back in Russia. Telling a world what is and it is to be an American. This is not the Jubilee that is inscribed on the Liberty Bell, which was cracked from its first ring but never broken, which declared release, a return to those of their original ownership, the right to possess, and a clarion call for peace. That is written on the Bell of Liberty. And so we are not in chaos and we are not in war. This is not a riot. It is also not a revolution. This civil disturbance is to demand change within democracy, not to subvert democracy. This November, with free and fair elections, is our moment to register our convictions. And yes, it is a sacred duty. 
The real sinister silent revolution is actually in the undermining of our courts and the shifting of these briefs that will disenfranchise people of color by continual gerrymandering, misleading censuses, by unnecessary barriers and boundaries and sinister identification roles. To ensure our right to democracy, we must ensure the right for all to be represented in November. So in this moment of wilderness, our higher, higher faculties will determine the differences between vigilantes and vigilance, between protest and pillage, between righteousness and stiff-necked bigotry. Don't judge a book by its cover. Listen to the quality of the messages being delivered. So let us take a moment again in our local lore, the Watts riots of 1965. And here I want to invite you all this fall. We're going to be studying this book. It's Mike Davis. It's a book called Set the Night on Fire about Los Angeles in the 1960s. It's opened my mind and my heart. I'm so grateful to his, to his research. And he says, in the days of August 11th to 17th, the uprising claimed 34 lives and 1,034 injuries. It, yes, encompassed South Central 46.4 square miles, but also there were protests in Venice, Pacoima, Long Beach, North Pasadena, Monrovia, Pomona, San Diego. The Watts riots was not just about Watts. It was a community rage, a moment of collective outrage for the Southland. And I want to say the media at the time in the 60s, the L.A. Times, didn't help matters. Maury Riskind, he called it an anarchistic holocaust. And first they trivialized the event. They called it a summer carnival of riots. And then further on, as it got more dangerous, language like terrorists, guerrilla warfare, and as I said, anarchistic holocaust. Oi. I'm saddened today for loss of property and damage, and I pray for your safety. But this is not Kristallnacht, and nor was that. It's wrong to make such callous generalizations. In fact, the only two white people that died in Watts riots that happened all over, quote-unquote, were killed by friendly fire from their own police officers. Friendly fire, what an oxymoron is a term. So, there was a leadership. It was decentralized, very similar, and they were arguing just causes, police brutality, chronic unemployment, dragnet policing, what Davis calls a negative employment operation, which ultimately forced black women to be responsible for over 70% of home incomes in South Central L.A. The civil disturbance over a botched driving arrest was quoted, riots within riots. And yet now we can see there's a difference. These aren't merely riots within riots. These are flashes of looting and unjust gain within a series of structured protests and acts of kindness within civil disobedience. And yes, within violence and disturbance. And so let us not repeat those categorical errors and praise righteous action and police dereliction, if not by ourselves, let us collectively find that civic duty and continue to protest injustice that is still with us today. 
So this manifestation is a refusal to maintain the status quo. It is a disobedience in order to create new order, the opposite of chaos, so that people can be valued as a citizen regardless of their economic status or their color, to be equal members of our society, or in Hebrew terms, to be a mamlechet kohanim, a democratic nation of priests. And so, in that light, we must break these glass ceilings of access, access to early education and to higher education, the implicit racism of our incarceration, our drug policy, of our food deserts, the racism of both our health care and our welfare. We must remember the dream of our ancestors, that to be a millionaire or even just middle class was a chance to learn skill and do work and play the market and save for a thing that they once called retirement. Remember that? There was a thing called retirement. We had that dream. Heavens to Betsy Ross, you know, I'm, I actually lived that dream. And so now we are dissatisfied with good reason, but we are not confused. We are simply disillusioned. The majority of this disobedience is not disturbance. It is a moral majority and it is a plea for justice when our justice fails. And that cannot stand, and we shall not be idle. In our Torah, the episode of the golden calf, Joshua calls out to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp, it's a kol milchama. And Moses says, no, it is not the sound of triumph, nor the sound of defeat. It is the sound of music. And so we must hear Israel, shh, Silence in order to understand that this is not the sound of war nor chaos, not the sound of a victory, certainly not defeat. It is the symphony of our society. And it is our humanity that is singing and crying for justice. And there is a music in this fugue and we must hear its call. Shema Yisrael. Let us listen to that rising song. Shabbat Shalom.